Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. The key to doing anything well in life, especially if you're going to do it well over a long period of time, is to know exactly why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, the role of, uh, of proper motivation can't be uh, uh, overstated. It's, it's important to know uh, why we're doing what we're doing. And I, and I believe in a, if we're going to live in a world uh, that rejects Christ, and we do, uh, that we need to know precisely why it is that we follow Christ. I believe one of the reasons, one of the chief reasons that so many people see their faith waver is because they don't have clarity uh, on why it is that they're following Christ to start with. In fact, one of the reasons why so many people who were following Christ two or three years ago are not following Christ today, and one of the reasons why some of you who are here today will not be here two or three years from now, is because we just don't have this clear understanding of why exactly we're following God. And so why are you following God? If we were just to go around the auditorium and ask people that question, we get all kinds of different answers. Some people would say, well, I follow God because he gives me wisdom for, for, for life. Some people would say, well, I follow God because The word of God strengthens my marriage. Some people would say, I follow God because he supplies all of my needs. Some people would say, I follow God because he protects my children. Or I follow God because he forgives my sins. Now, all of those are true statements. God does all of those things. But listen, church, none of those are the reason that we should follow God. We should follow God, and if our faith is going to persevere, if it's going to be consistent, then we should follow God for a very different reason. And I want to show you that, uh, that different reason this morning. You know, one of the things that we like to talk about uh, as, as we look back into the Bible and as we look into more contemporary history, we, we like to talk about the times when God... Uh, performed a miracle or where somebody experienced a great victory because of their faith in God. We love to tell those stories and oftentimes those stories become a motivation for why we are following God because we wouldn't experience the same miracle or the same or the same victory. I think about Hebrews chapter 11, which is a, just a list of, of the great men and women of the faith. People who uh, excelled in their faith their faith in God, and we love to look at that chapter and see about some of those great events that happened. Let me just read a few of those to you. Hebrews 11, 32 says, time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon and Samson, David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. I mean, we love to read the stories of God giving great victory to those who follow him. But listen, the Bible And even in that Hebrews chapter 11 list of great men and women of faith talks about those uh, for whom there was no victory. Uh, Talks about those uh, that 
that didn't see the, the miracle that rescued them before calamity came. In fact, the very next verse in Hebrews says this, others experienced mockings and scourgings, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered in sheepskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. You see, God may choose to do something great and wonderful and miraculous in your life. And God may make you a, a mighty, victorious warrior for his kingdom. But God may not. We can't. Let that be our motivation for following him. There, there has to be some motivation. And, and we see it in these people whose lives were so difficult. There has to be some other motivation for following God that's, that tends to elude us today. And I believe there is a motivation. I believe the Bible gives us a completely different motivation. It's seldom mentioned today, but it must be mentioned. It's the motivation of John and Peter and Paul when you look at how they lived their lives in the New Testament and why they followed God. It was, this, it was this different kind of motivation. It's true of Abraham and Joseph and Daniel and Elijah in the Old Testament. And it's true of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. And so I want us to see why these three men followed God in Daniel chapter 3. Now I want to do something that we began to do last week. I don't know if we'll do this forever, but at least for this series, I want to do this just in honor of God's word and what we know and believe about God's word, that it is true and reliable and without error. I want us to stand as we read this together. So let's stand Daniel chapter 3. Let's see why these three men chose to follow God. Daniel 3.1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And so he builds this great statue out of gold. Skip down to verse 4. It says, a herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music... You are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And so he says, we'll play the music. And when we do, you need to worship. And if you don't worship, then we will burn you to death. Well, skip on down a few verses. There were some men uh, Daniel, we know, was a man of God. He was out of town at this uh, juncture. But there were three other men who, uh, who stood for the things of God. And we met them last week in Daniel chapter 1. And we'll see them again here in Daniel chapter 3. And so they refused to do it. They were not going to bow uh, to this statue. They were not going to worship this pagan God. Verse 12 tells us about that. So the, the people come and make an accusation against them and say, there are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. And so the accusation has been made. Look at verse 13. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king. 
Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I have set up? Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I have made. But if you don't worship it, you will be immediately thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? And so these three men were given a second chance uh, to bow down to this, uh, to this pagan image. Now, verse 16 is, is an important verse. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. It's, it's as if they gave an immediate answer. They didn't have to discuss it. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't ask for an extra day. They, they, they just replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. Meaning we don't need to debate this. We, we don't need some other possibilities. We're ready. And he says in verse 17, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, verse 18, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. So he said to the king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow. Our God is able to rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we still will stand with the one true living God. Now let's see what happens. Verse 24 says, then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He has thrown the men into the furnace at this point. He jumps up into alarm and he said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Didn't we throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. And he exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, but walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And so these three men were thrown into the fire. Jesus went in with them. And uh, they are unharmed and they are walking around and they are laughing and throwing a party. And um, it was a surprise to the king. Now, verse 29, skip all the way down to the end of the story. Here's what the king said. The king learned a lesson. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump for there's no other God who is able to deliver like this. God received the glory uh, from this uh, unusual event in Daniel chapter three. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So the question is, why did Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego follow God? Why did these men follow God? It was not. Now listen, this, will be, this is a hard message for people to understand. It's a hard message to preach. I need you to listen very closely. They did not follow God to avoid the furnace, right? There was an easier way to avoid the furnace. All they had to do was bow down when the silly song played and, 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 and worship this, uh, this golden image that had been set up. If their goal was simply to avoid hardship, they didn't need to follow God. These three men did not follow God to avoid hardship. They had a very different reason for following God. 
Now, before I tell you what it is, I'm trying to, trying to uh, build some anticipation here. Let, let, me, let me tell you that their reason for following God is seen in the lives of all kinds of people in the Bible. I can show you some examples. Do you know the story of Abraham? In Genesis chapter 22, God told Abraham to take his son and march him up a, up a mountain. And at the top of that mountain, he was to offer him as a sacrifice. That would be a tough command, right? But Abraham did what God said. And so Abraham and his son Isaac are walking up this hill and Isaac asks the obvious question of his dad. Dad, where is the animal for sacrifice? And I imagine Abraham had the biggest lump in his throat that you could imagine. And he looked at his son and he said, I'm sure through teary eyes, God will provide for himself an animal for sacrifice. Now, what was that? That was Abraham's hope that God would come through in the end. Now they get up on the mountain and guess what? No animal. So what's Abraham going to do? Well, Abraham ties his son down to the pile of wood, raises the, the knife back to, to execute his son. And it wasn't until the last moment that God stopped him and provided an animal for the sacrifice. But what we see here is that Abraham had the same attitude as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abraham said, I'm trusting that God is gonna do something wonderful, but if not, I'm still gonna follow God. I mean, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, right? We believe God will rescue us from the furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow. Abraham said, I believe God will provide an animal for himself, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to be obedient to, to him. We can look at Job. Do you know the story of Job? In the Old Testament, Job lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his friends. He lost his health. Job's life completely fell apart. People told him he should turn away from God. But he said no. He said in Job 13, 15, even if God kills me, my hope will remain in him. You see, he had this if not kind of faith. I believe God's going to do something, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to follow God. We could go to the New Testament and look at the apostle Paul. The, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul had this big problem. And he prayed three times that God would make the problem go away. And God said, no, no, no. And so what did, what did Paul do? Paul says, and it's right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God has told me, no, he will not make my life easier. And so what I have chosen to do is just to glory in the fact that in my weakness, people will see God's strength. You see, all the way throughout the Bible, people have this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of faith that says, I believe that God will rescue me, but even if he doesn't, my faith is strong. So why do you follow, why do you follow God? Uh, you, you, we're not to follow God because he will rescue us because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, even if he doesn't rescue us, we don't follow God just for a better family. No, Abraham almost lost his family following God. We don't follow God for comfort. Job said, even if my life remains miserable, I will follow God. We don't follow God for leisure because Paul said, even though my life remains hard, I will follow God. So why do we follow God? 
Now, I'm going to give you the answer, and then we're going to take a little time, and I'm going to show this to you in Scripture. But the answer is this. Three things. We follow God because he is worthy. We follow God because he's worthy. We follow God because we are connected to him. And we follow God because he loved us first. Now, we see all three of these things in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That they follow God because he was worthy, they were connected to him, and God had loved them first. But, but I, wanna, I want you to see it not just in their lives, I want you to see it throughout the Bible. And so we're going to go through these one at a time, and I want to I show it to you in Daniel, in the, in the lives of these men in Daniel chapter 3. But I want to show it to you in a, in a key verse in Scripture. So the first one is this, why to follow God? First, we follow God because he is worthy. We follow God because he is worthy. Psalm 29.2 says this, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Look at this verse with me on the screen. Ascribe to the Lord, that means give to the Lord the glory that is due his name. We should worship God. We should follow God. We should be obedient to God. Why? Because it is due to him. That's what this verse says. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to him, that, that we owe to him. What does it mean if something is due? It means you owe it, right? And, and so if, uh, if you have a mortgage, and uh, that means you own a house, but you didn't pay for the house. The bank paid for the house. And so you owe the bank some money. And once a month, the bank says that money is due to us. You owe it to us. It's not an option. You, you can't decide whether, whether you want to give them a little less this month. No, you owe them that. It is due to them. Well, the Bible says that we should follow God because he's worthy. It's just due to him. If we were to talk about respecting veterans, do you, we should respect those men and women who have fought on our behalf or who have served in the military and willing to fight on our behalf so that we have freedom. We, we owe those people respect because of what they have done or what they were willing to do. We should respect them. That is due to them. Well, the Bible says that we should follow God simply because it is due him. That's what he deserves, is that we would follow him. Now, why does he deserve that? Well, there are a lot of reasons. He deserves it, for one, because he is beautiful. He is beautiful. We don't often think about the beauty of God, uh, but we should. We should worship God. We should follow God with everything we are because he is beautiful. Psalm 27, 4 says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. I love this verse. The psalmist says, I have asked just one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. And here it is. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord. We should follow God because of his beauty. What does it mean that God is beautiful? That's a hard concept because when we think of beauty, we often think of you know, a painting or, or a sunset, something that you can see. We don't see God, but in what sense is God beautiful? Well, if something is beautiful, that means that it is perfect. That means that you can't add anything to it to make it better, and you can't take anything from it that would improve it, right? And so if you say that a painting is beautiful, you mean that if you added one more 
brush stroke to it. It would be less than what it is. It is perfect. If you were to take away one brush stroke, it wouldn't be what it is. It is perfect. When men talk about a football play and say it's beautiful, what do we mean? When we say that was a beautiful touchdown pass, we mean that it was perfect. There wasn't anything wrong with it. There wasn't anything you'd want to add to it or take away from it. It was absolutely complete. And when the Bible says that God is beautiful, it means that God is, God is perfect. Did you know there's not anything that God could do to make himself better? And if God were any different than what he is, he would be less than what he is. God, God is perfect. He's beautiful. We should worship him because of his beauty. We should worship him because of his character. We should worship him because he loves us. We should worship him because of his holiness, that God is pure and righteous, that God has never had an evil thought, that God has never compromised, that that God has never told a half truth, that God is holy. We should worship God because of his attributes, that he is powerful, that he uh, uh, he, he is knowledgeable, that he is just. We should worship God. Uh, because he he is worthy now. I think this is this is the hardest one of these three to grasp It's hard for us to grasp that we should worship God simply because he's worthy of it because And I think this is true of all of us in some respect We think the world revolves around us I mean we really think I mean all of us to an extent we think that we're sort of at the center of the universe And everybody exists and everything exists to make me happy. And we include in everything God. We think that we have a relationship with God so that God can be a blessing to us. We think that the whole world revolves around us. And you can see this in in our relationship with God, even in the prayers that we pray. What, What do your prayers look like? What do they sound like? For most people, here's how they sound. Lord, help me with this. Lord, give me that. Lord, fix this other thing. Lord, rescue me from that. I mean, if you just, if you could just look at all the prayers you've prayed over the last year, it would be easy to conclude that you think your relationship with God is mostly about God doing something for you. You know, when I go to a restaurant and a server comes to my table, I mean, if we're not careful, we just think that the whole purpose of that server is just to keep our tea glass filled, right? And you know, our tea gets low and we think, you know, what kind of crummy server do I have? I mean, we just think that it's all about us. And the problem is we think that in our relationship with God and you can see it in the prayers that we pray. You can see it in the desires that we have. Lord, help me have a happy marriage. Help me have godly kids. Help me have a secure retirement. Now, what are all of those three prayer requests about? They're about me. They're about God helping my life be what I want it to be. And even when we pray the prayer or we ask the question of pastors, uh, how can I know what God's will is for my life? I mean, that's not a bad question, but it does say something about our perspective. When you say, I want to know what God's will is for my life, You're essentially saying that the most important thing is, is, you know, my life. And I want to see, you know, the path that God wants me to go around so that I'll be self-actualized, so that I'll be at peace and so that I'll have a great life. You know, it's hard to understand that we should worship God simply because he's worthy, because we think of ourselves as the center of the universe. Why does, why do we have a relationship with God? It's not so that God can bless you. 
No, you have a relationship with God so that you can bring honor to him. That's the purpose of the relationship. And now God may bless you, and he certainly will bless you. But even in his blessings, the purpose is that we can turn around and bring even greater honor and glory to God. The purpose of it all is not us, it's God. God's at the center of the universe. The purpose is not that God would benefit us. The purpose is that we would bring honor and glory to God. Why should we follow God? Simply because he's worthy. Whether he ever does anything for you or not, whether you have the victory of... of, uh, of, of, of of David or the, or the victory of Moses or, or you're one of the people that, that Hebrews 11 talks about who were sold in two because of their faith. It doesn't matter because the reason we ought to follow God is not because of what he does for us. It's because he's worthy. He is so great. He is worthy. Now the second reason that we are to follow God is because we're connected to him. Not just because he's worthy. That would be reason enough. But there is another reason here. We are connected to him. The, the, the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew of their ethnic connection to the Lord. They knew that they were Hebrews, they were Jews, they were Israelites. And because of that, they had this long history of being connected to God. It goes all the way back to Abraham, their, their father Abraham. And Abraham made a covenant with God. Abraham trusted God. And, and, and God counted that as righteousness. And Abraham became a man of God. And, and, and so God began to work in the life and the family of Abraham. And, and these three men knew that. And they had from generations back this strong connection to God. They knew that uh, God had protected their family when, when Joseph became uh, the vice regent of Egypt. They, they knew that God had protected their family when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt and in, into the promised land. They knew that God, had, God was connected to them when he gave them David as their, as, as, as their great king. They had this long connection uh, with the Father. And one of the reasons why they followed God was, was because of this connection that they had. Now, there's a verse that's, that's really repeated over and over and over in the Bible that shows us something of this connection. And, and I want you to see this. I think I can show it to you on the screen. Leviticus 11.45. And it's in a number of places in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But look at it here. It says, I am the Lord who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. So, and here's the key part, you must be holy because I am holy. Now we'll leave that verse up for a moment or two because I want you to think about that last phrase. You must be holy because I am holy. Now what does he mean to be holy? Now the word holy is a pretty big word in the Bible, but in the book of Leviticus, it has a pretty narrow meaning. It's, it's a moral code. To be holy means to follow God's rules. And in this sense, to be holy, for us to be holy, means that we follow God. So he says we're to be holy, we're to follow God because he is holy. We're to do it because he has this character, because he is righteous, because he is pure. We're to be reverent and follow him because of who he is. What he's saying is that there's a connection. We're to be holy. We're to follow God because we have a connection with him. You see it in the first part of this verse. Look, it says, for I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He said, don't you see that for years we've had this connection? Uh, in the New Testament, 
Let me show you one instance where this is found in the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Here he says, God has chosen you. So there's a connection between you and God. So you need to follow God because of that connection. You be holy because he, he, is, he is holy. Now what's my connection with God? Well, I'm the child of God. I, I've been adopted into the family of God. And because I'm connected with him, I should follow him. Now, let me tell you how that works, why that works. The, the connection that we have implies imitation and obedience to God for, for three reasons. First of all, family resemblance. Uh, have, have, you've noticed that kids generally look like their parents, right? For better or for worse, <laughs> kids look like their parents most of the time. There is a family resemblance. Well, as children of God, not because God will do something for us, not because God will answer a prayer for us, but just because we're his children, we ought to look like God in our character, in our attitudes, in our love, in our faithfulness, we should look like God. There should be a family resemblance. There's another way that this connection with God should show up in our lives. It, it, it is by association. See, our actions, everything I do or you do, reflect upon the character of God in, in this world. If you would have picked up the newspaper this morning, and on the headline, the top story in the new newspaper, it would have said, Pastor of First Baptist Nacogdoches, arrested for cocaine possession on a street corner south of town. Now, would that be of some concern to you? <laughs> it would, right? It would be concerned. Now, if it said this, that a, that a Buddhist monk was arrested for cocaine possession on a street corner in Detroit, would that have been of any interest to you? No. Now, why would my arrest for cocaine possession be of interest and his would not? Because we're connected, right? And, and the things that I do would reflect upon the Lord and the church because we're connected, right? Well, we're connected with God. And so the way I live is important because it reflects upon God. There's a third reason why our connections should influence how we behave, and that's just identity. Uh, I, I thought about this when Hurricane Harvey hit uh, Houston just a few months ago now. A thousand-year flood, you know the story. Uh, Texans took care of Texans. Uh, in an extraordinary way, they demonstrated sacrificial love and they crossed boundaries of race and socioeconomic strata. And, and so the phrase that came out of that experience is uh, Texas strong. Have you seen that phrase on, on uh, billboards? You've seen it on television commercials. And uh, what that phrase means is that we just sort of have an identity here in Texas that we take care of our own. We sacrifice for other Texans. That's what, what they're trying to say with the phrase, with the slogan, Texas strong, is that this is just characteristic of a Texan. Well, we are made in the image of God. 
And because of that, there ought to just be some things that are characteristic of God people. I mean, because the image of God is in me, there just ought to be things that are, that are characteristic of, of me. The, 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 the holiness of God, the character of God ought to be found in me because we have this common identity because I am created in the image of God. One of the reasons we follow God is because he is worthy. Another reason we follow God is because we're connected to him. The third reason we're to follow God is because he loved us first. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew this. They knew their history. Uh, they knew how God had showed uh, them and their families and their ancestors love for many generations. You and I know to an even greater degree that God loves us. Why should we follow God? Well, we should follow God because he loved us first. 1 John four nineteen, We love because he first loved us. So the Bible tells us why we should follow him. And here's one of the three examples. We love, we follow God because he first loved us. Now, how did he love us? Well, Romans 5, 8 makes that very clear. It says God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So before we loved God, God loved us by sending Jesus to die for us so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be adopted into the family of God, so that we could put our faith in Jesus and be children of God. God loved us first. That's why we should love him. You know, love is not a collective bargaining agreement. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Uh, love is not this, uh, this business uh, contract I mean, I think about my three daughters. I love my three daughters as much as any man could love his children, I promise you. But it's not because they have something to offer me. It's not that I love them and I spend money on them and I provide a house for them and protection for them and food for them. And, and, and they're going to give me something back. I mean, I'm not keeping a tally of how much they owe me when they finally, you know, get up and get a job and okay, now it's time to pay mom and dad back. No, I just love them because, because I love them. And we ought to love God, not because that God, you know, may answer this prayer or God may provide this miracle, but we just ought to recognize God has loved us. We should just love him back. God has already loved us and that he has offered us forgiveness of sins and if God doesn't do anything else, is that a song you sang last week, Andre? If God doesn't do anything else for me, that's enough. God loved me first. I need to love him back. You know, our God is a great and a powerful and a strong God, and he does desire to bless us. But if the only reason you follow him is because of your hope that he will bless you, then you don't really know God. Listen, there has to be an if not clause in your relationship with God. When, um, when you got married, if you're married, one of the things that the pastor likely said was this, for richer or poorer in sickness and in health. Now, what did he mean by that? He meant that when you get married, it's not about what you get from the other person. Listen, I love my wife, and it is fun to be married to my wife most of the time, okay? <laughs> but if, <laughs> I didn't mean there to be a pause. <laughs> I 
me start over. I love my wife and I love being married to my wife. I mean, it is a great life that God has given me with my wife. But I don't love her for the goodness that she shows me back. I don't love her for the things she does to me. I don't love her for the kindness. I don't love her for the physical relationship. I don't, if all of those things ceased, if my wife were in an automobile accident and she were, uh, she spent the rest of her days on a respirator in the hospital, listen, my, my love for her wouldn't change because it's, I don't love her to get something. I just love her and I get something, but if I stopped getting, I would still love. And that's a, a, a small picture of the kind of devotion we ought to have with God. We ought to follow God just because we love him and because of who he is, our connection and the love that he has shown us, whether we get anything from God or not. I think about Peter and James in the New Testament. So you get to the end of the book of Acts and Peter and James are both arrested by Herod. And it's interesting. They both pray that God would free them. God miraculously freed Peter from prison. God let James be executed in the same jail cell. You see, Peter and James didn't follow God just for rescue. They followed God because they loved him. Our reason for following God must be more than just getting out of a bind. It's one thing to have the kind of faith. It's one thing to have faith to escape. It's another thing to have faith to endure. It's one thing to be sick and have faith to be healed. It's another thing to be sick and not healed and still praise God. I want to read something to you. I don't like to read from the, from the pulpit. It's hard for people to follow. But this is one of the best things I've ever read. And it helps me understand why I should follow God. It's a letter written by John Hutchinson, uh, given to his daughter to communicate his faith in God to her. I just want you to listen. He titled it, Why I Follow Christ. And it says this. He said, I've not seen clear statistical evidence that fewer Christians die of cancer than non-believers or that they are immune in greater degree from the diseases that afflict the human race. He said, some of the kindest and most selfless persons I know have had their share of bad health. The fact that they belong to Jesus Christ did not insulate them from disease. Therefore, I will not follow Christ for promised healing. I will not deny or dispute the evidence of restoration of health. I will rejoice for every recovery from what seems to be a hopeless, threatened death. I will not hesitate to pray for recovered health for my loved ones and acquaintances. I will set no limits on what God may choose to do. But I will not follow Christ for promised healing. He said, I see no sign that Christians escape disasters and accidents more than others. I have helped dear friends empty muddy waters out of dresser drawers and new appliances after a disastrous flood. I remember as a child taking clothes to a widow with five children whose house had burned to the ground. 
A bullet makes no detour around the body of a believer. Therefore, I will not follow Christ for any promised protection from disaster. I will not scoff at amazing survivals or deny that providence has and continues to work for the good of God's own. And I will continue to pray for protection from wicked men and tragedy, but I will not follow Christ for promised protection from accident or catastrophe. He went on to say, I do not observe that Christians are especially favored with prosperity. Like James, we've all seen the rich oppressing the poor, and justice is rarely perfect in this world. The psalmist has said that he has not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. And in the deepest needs of life, that is certainly true, but all of us have known people of integrity who have not prospered. Therefore, I will not follow Christ for promised freedom from physical want or hope of affluence. He says, I'm not certain that Christians have stronger personalities or fewer neuroses than unbelievers. I do know that there is no bitterness like religious bitterness and no arrogance more insufferable. I've watched Christians suffer emotional and mental disabilities and thought it may, and though it may seem heretical, I'm not sure I would enjoy living in the same house with either the apostle Peter or Paul. God wills that the mind of Christ be formed in us. And there is no doubt in my mind that the Christian's attitude and actions will be improved by his Christianity. But I will not follow Christ for any promise of personality enhancement or perfection. Why then follow Christ? Why be a disciple of Jesus when life may become more complicated as he often warned? For one reason alone. In Jesus, we behold the face of God. He is the truth, the everlasting truth, God in the flesh. I know that in this life, death and resurrection, I am reconciled to God, the giver of power and goodness. I trust him and his promises. To him I offer my life, damaged or whole, brief or full of years. It matters not. He is the one certain thing in an uncertain world. Something I'm sorry. He is to be worshiped. Not so that something will happen to me or to the world. Something has already happened to me and to the world. But because he is God, who through Christ has reconciled the world to himself, he saves me. He is my justification. He is the center that holds to worship the God of our salvation, to offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, that alone is our vocation. We offer our lives to God not as to be healthy, wealthy, or wise, not even so as to gain strength to do great things for him. We offer our lives to him because he alone is worthy. Now just with your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to challenge you with this. We live in a world that rejects Christ. It's going to become harder and harder to live for Jesus in this world. The only people who are going to persevere are those who are following for the right reasons. Some of us owe God an apology today because for us it has been a bargain God, I'll do this for you if you will do that for me. 
Father, forgive us if we are following you for any reason other than you are worthy. You see, we need to have the same kind of faith Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. We need to, we need to on our knees, say, God, I believe that you will rescue me. But even if you don't, my faith will be firm. Father, help us to follow you. Not from what we get, but because of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.